The World Bank on Tuesday lowered its global growth forecast for the year from 4.1% to 2.9% and noted that many countries are at a risk of recession. American demand for foreign goods fell as reflected in a 19% fall in the U.S. trade gap in April, according to the Department of Commerce. A Bank of Canada analysis released Thursday showed that many Canadians will see their mortgage payments rise by 30% and some up to 45% in 2025 to 26 as rising interest rates impact variable rate mortgages taken out when rates hit record lows in 2020 and 21. The European Central Bank this week released plans to increase interest rates for the first time in more than a decade. A July quarter point increase will raise the ECB's key rate to negative one quarter percent. And another increase planned for September would bring the rate to zero or possibly positive one quarter percent. In this edition of Commerce Code, better credit scores, smarter securitization. A conversation with Tony Hubbs of Vantage Score. Dan Carell here, and this is Commerce Code brought to you by DCA, the Digital Commerce Alliance. Thanks for joining us for insights into the evolving world of digital commerce. The U.S. economy still has about 800,000 fewer jobs than it did before the pandemic, in spite of adding about 400,000 or more new jobs each month since the pandemic rebound began. According to the Labor Department last Friday, Jobs increased just a little less in May than they have each month during the rebound to date. Yet the number was higher than expected. One survey of economists predicted just 318,000 new jobs, but in fact, the economy added 390,000 new jobs. Because of a workforce participation rate still below pre-pandemic levels, unemployment remains at a nearly 50-year low of 3.6%. There are about two open jobs for every one job seeker. This, of course, is driving up wages, which could add to inflationary pressure. Big digital commerce news this week as Apple jumped into the buy now, pay later market. Seen by industry observers as a challenge to BNPL market leaders like Klarna and Affirm, Apple made its BNPL announcement alongside product updates at its annual developer conference on Monday. The product is called Apple Pay Later iPhone and Mac users in the U.S. can pay for purchases in four installments over six weeks, interest-free. The system relies on MasterCard's network and will work at any location that supports Apple Pay. Apple's BNPL move furthers the company's push into the financial services market, which began in earnest in 2019 with Apple Card, a credit card offered in partnership with Goldman Sachs and MasterCard. But Apple's BNPL experience extends back a little further than that, Since 2015, Apple has offered installment payment plans for large purchases of its own products. Apple said its BNPL system is designed with users' financial health in mind, including a way to monitor payments in Apple Wallet. In the same conference, Apple announced a plan to, quote, replace passwords for good with a biometrics-based system called PassKeys to log into apps and websites. The system will also work with Google and Microsoft apps and devices. Today on the show, we're learning about the role credit scores play in debt securitization in a conversation with Tony Hubbs of Vantage Score. Tony, thank you so much for joining us today and and sharing your thoughts on Commerce Code. Uh, Where are you joining us from? I am joining you from New York City, and I thank you for having me here today, and I really look forward to our discussion. 
Wonderful. I'm here at DCA's new headquarters in Washington, D.C. Absolutely a pleasure to have you. Let's dive into the credit score conversation on credit scores and capital markets. And I'll just start with, I guess, the opener, which is in your experience, how are credit scores used normally by capital markets participants? Well, credit scores are used across the consumer and mortgage-related asset-backed capital markets ecosystem by various market participants. And I'll give you two examples. For lenders, they're a critical form from the point of origination to securitization. Lenders use credit scores in their origination process. And of course, underwriting a consumer is critical. And in the account management processes, although some of these activities begin before the related loans or receivables are actually securitized, these processes are not only a central part of the ongoing strategies of the lender, but also have implications for the future performance of the receivables once they are securitized. And for investors, credit scores may be used in many ways, including as a tool in their investment decisioning, as it may be used as an indication of credit quality and potential performance at the time of purchase. When reviewed over time, scores can also be used as a tool, as an early indicator of potential shifts, if any, of the credit quality of the portfolio. Why is that secondary market? So we're talking about a secondary market here and securitization. And why is the secondary market so important for lenders? I want to start with that one. I've got a follow up too. Securitization really is a critical source of funding for an issuer. It allows them to raise capital for their institutions, which actually supports their ongoing operations, including funding loans to consumers. For larger issuers, securitization allows them to diversify their sources of funding and help to optimize their funding and liquidity frameworks, which typically has many positive implications for their business operations. And for smaller issuers with perhaps fewer sources of funding, securitization may allow them access to funding at a cheaper cost than they would encounter via an unsecured lending platform. Are there particular kinds of lenders that would use securitization more than others, or is this pretty much universal practice? Various lenders use securitization as a vehicle for funding their businesses. So from an investor perspective, so we've talked about it from the, from the lender perspective and shifting over the investor perspective, you know, what do investors think about credit scores and then today's marketplace where, where multiple different credit scoring firms compete? VantageScore recently published research that reflect the results of quantitative surveys of 333 institutional investors, representing $47 trillion of assets under management. The results of the research were loud and clear. Investors support competition. 93% of investors, 93% support competition in the ABS market. That speaks volumes. It's worth noting that 91% of those that focus on asset-backed and mortgage-backed securities also support competition and credit scoring. We have seen an increase in openness to competition on the part of investors over time, and that's resulted in the issuance of consumer asset-backed transactions issued with Vantage Score as the reference score. And investors seem open to scoring alternatives that support their decision-making processes. There was a bit of a market event. I, I seem to recall it was so long ago, and I'm now I'm old and my memory's bad. But 2008, 2009 had some tough sledding. And it seems to me, Tony, that a good deal of that in hindsight had to do with some structure stuff, some market structure stuff, but some you know imperfect information. And so I'm assuming that what's behind the interest of investors in competition in the credit score space is the belief or the possibility anyway that there'll be more innovation, more transparency, more uh, information available 
about the things that they are choosing what to pay for and what to buy, right? Since the financial crisis, clearly the market is looking for more information that will guide the decision-making process. So the more information and the more transparency that one has to work with in order to make decisions is always welcomed by those that participate in the market. I love that Vantage Score and FTI did some research on this. It's one of the foundational you know, underpinnings of a really important market that a lot of people maybe don't spend a lot of time thinking about. So what else did that research look into and you know, what, what were some of the other key findings? We not only wanted to confirm investor sentiment around competition and credit scoring, but we also really wanted to understand how investors could be best served in the credit scoring space in which we operate particularly as it pertains to the day-to-day needs and their decisioning processes. The one item of note is that ESG has been in the forefront of industry conversations for some time, which I'm sure you're aware of. And 79% of investors in the survey noted that ESG is a part of the decision-making process, with 85% voicing that inclusiveness in credit scoring is important. Inclusion and social responsibility in lending has been a guiding principle for Vantage Score since its inception in 2006, and currently scores approximately 37 million customers who are otherwise unscorable, with 10.7 million of those being a part of the African-American and Latino communities. Furthermore, investors voice their desire for transparency in scoring. 58% voice that they would welcome greater transparency around how scores are calculated. And Vantage Score is committed to providing such transparency as we're very clear on what goes into our scores. And we also publish a market performance assessment on an annual basis. So we are very, very transparent about those issues. So last question for you is, we've talked about the investor perspective. I want to come back to issuers. And, you know, from your perspective, what do these findings mean moving forward for them, for issuers? I think these findings should provide greater insight to issuers about investor sentiment and their preferences, needs, and future expectations around credit scoring. I think to sum it up, there could be substantial opportunities for issuers who meet these needs of investors. The findings clearly show that investors are open to competition and credit scoring in the asset-backed and mortgage-backed market, and that they seek transparency in the space and have a desire for models that are more inclusive. Again, going back to that last point, securities that emphasize ESG are becoming more attractive to investors and thus valuable to issuers. So we feel that the findings make a compelling case to issuers that investors are ready to assess securitizations that meet these needs that are voiced by investors. That's great. I think it's such an interesting conversation, and we obviously only touched the surface, I think, of an important question, but it's one of those bricks in the wall of a big cathedral that is the uh, the world economy that we sometimes, you know, we don't pay attention to. And as we discovered, uh, oh gosh, now 14 years ago, you got to pay attention to some of those infrastructure things that are underneath important things like um, securitization if, if you want everything to work. So I'm grateful for your thoughts, Tony, today, and also for the work that Vantage Score is doing on, uh, on this front, because I think it's both interesting, but also consequential to the economy and important to people. So thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. Coming right up, closing thoughts on securitization. We mentioned in our conversation the systemic issues in the global financial crisis of 2008. I can't hear the word securitization and not think about that. So here's how the Wikipedia entry for the financial crisis starts. Quote, the financial crisis of 2008 
or global financial crisis, was a severe worldwide economic crisis that occurred in the early 21st century. Holy cow, that makes me feel old. Is it no longer the early 21st century? Don't tell me that. I still double take at the idea that it's the 21st century at all. Well, back in the early 21st century, you might remember what you were doing. It was a tectonic shock to everyone when it became apparent sometime in late 2008 that the economy wasn't just slowing down. It was going to hang there in suspended animation for a while and just make us all wonder what would happen next. I was working with public company audit committees at the time, and I vividly recall a conversation with the audit committee chair of one of the mortgage lenders that was deepest in the scandal. He was ashen when we got onto the topic and insistent that the information he was given showed that everything was fine. The information he saw might have been accurate. Accurate information can be traced back to its source according to the rules by which it was calculated. The sources can be validated. The math can all line up. But pretty clearly, the information that audit committee chair was given wasn't right. And there's a big difference. To be right, you need to step back and look at everything you can and say, well, what's really going on here? Even if the information I'm looking at is accurate, is it the right information? Should I maybe look at something else? Is there a chance we're asking the wrong questions entirely? Or that there's one question we're not asking that would change the whole situation? Those considerations can get you to answers that are right and not just data that's accurate. One of the things that not-so-early 21st century has given us is Wikipedia. And the Wikipedia entry on the global financial crisis does a pretty thorough job, outlining facts, theories, and alternate theories about the crisis. The thread that runs through the whole story is that the system had a few narrow choke points that everyone had to pass through, and some sources of information that were relied upon without question. The system also had some unstated assumptions that were wrong, like housing prices would basically go up, and credit information was generally reliable, at least on average, in large doses. Those unstated assumptions were among the more powerful systemic weaknesses because they weren't seen, they weren't really discussed. So, back to 2022 and securitizations and systemic risks. A 2018 Mercator study found that consumer debt securitization issuers used FICO scores alone over 98% of the time. That market relies essentially on a single source and a single methodology. Now, FICO isn't the only source for credit scores, of course. Vantage Score has its own approach and methodology for credit scoring. Full disclosure, I have some friends there. Tony, our guest today, is at Vantage Score. Well, recently, Synchrony did a billion-dollar securitization using credit scores from Vantage Score instead of FICO. It seems obvious that having a single source for something concentrates risks in the system because alternative approaches aren't competing with one another and forcing the other to get better, to change, to evolve, to see the world differently. I mentioned Wikipedia a few times here because it's a good example of the power of competing ideas. Wikipedia isn't just a source of information. It's a place where ideas and people compete for space and oxygen, and they force new information to come out. It's sometimes not purely accurate. Any librarian will tell you that, very energetically. But that's not a problem if you're paying attention. If you really need to understand an issue, go to the History tab. See who's editing out whose comments. See what areas are most thought over. You'll find the fault lines and the uncertainties right away on an issue, in a way that you never could by reading the Columbia Encyclopedia, which, by the way, 
I have on my shelf and I adore. It's because Wikipedia is a competitive space. And as a result, it's more likely to get us to an answer that's right. In that sense, Wikipedia is a good example of something that has minimized its systemic risks by relying on many sources of information and creating a competitive marketplace. I think that might be a better model for how we think about assessing risk in the financial markets. To find out more about the latest trends in digital commerce and digital advertising, check out our website, www.digcomall.org. For the Digital Commerce Alliance, take care of yourself and take care of each other. God bless. This is Dan Carell, signing off. Thank you.